Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Bowl season in college football beckons. We get closer and closer to the NFL playoffs. Some signings in the MLB as the hot stove cools off. Thanks to our listeners for sticking with us over a couple of weeks of break. I went on a honeymoon to celebrate my marriage from November 5th to St. Lucia. Had a grand old time. Told Al all about it before we got on the show. He needs to book a trip and get down there at some point. So if we're missing more weeks in the future that don't have to do with holidays or whatnot, maybe that's what he's up to. Maybe we went together. Who knows? We'll do one of these shows live from the poolside next to the walk-up, swim-up pool bar, and we'll see what's on the menu for the day. We'll see if somebody will sponsor that. Maybe that'll help us out, get us down there instead of having to pull it out from our own pockets. But exciting times in sports. It always happens come December. Things start really kicking off, especially with the college postseason to really get going, and then the NFL shortly to follow. In college football, the biggest story of the past week, a somber one, as Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach died at 61 after a heart attack and a heart condition. He battled pneumonia during the regular season, had to take some time off. That probably weakened his heart some, didn't help with matters. And late last week, we heard the news that he was rushed to the hospital on Sunday. Nobody really knew what was going on and, and hoped for the best. But as the day progressed and the hours turned into night, more and more thoughts and prayers came across the Twitter machines and the social medias. And it wasn't looking good. And unfortunately, he passed away. And unfortunately for Mississippi State, obviously, he's, he's an active coach. And that's something that they'll have to deal with now as they prepare for their bowl season. But it's something that the college football world really dealt with. It's been a week of shared stories and laughs because there was no other quite like Mike Leach, not just from his football mind, which was tops when it came to becoming head coach because of this air raid offense, what he was able to do with that at all his stops as a head coach and as an offensive coordinator as well before really circling in on it. But what he meant to college football, the quotes that people know him from, spoke his mind always, seemingly never wanted to talk football. It was about everything under the sun else that he could come up with. He wanted you to tell him stories, and he always had opinions on anything you could come up with to tell him, which was refreshing in a sport where coaches are so focused on making sure they say the right things, do the right things, keep their money, keep their kids. It's just coach speak after coach speak. And here was somebody that put all that aside, said whatever he wanted, coached how he wanted, and it's, it's a loss in college football, obviously, that's going to sting for a little bit. Well, first of all, young man, welcome back. Congratulations to your beautiful wife. Uh, condolences also to your beautiful wife. She has spent the rest of her life with you. As you said, we're glad the listeners stuck with us. I uh, hope you didn't miss us too much, folks, between wedding, Thanksgiving, honeymoon, etc. 
Uh, but we're back and better than ever. And unfortunately, it's it's you know, 61 years old. It's a tragic passing of you know one of the great innovators and characters and most colorful coaches in recent memory in college football. He was you know the mad scientist uh, of offense. He was Bob Stoops' offensive coordinator uh, at Oklahoma, and then he went on to coach at Texas Tech and you know, Washington State, Mississippi State. And he was a guy who could draw plays in the dirt. He had all kinds of innovative offenses. Uh, The Texas Tech stay there was just filling the air with footballs and, you know, putting up 40 points in the 40s every game and incredibly fun to watch. He was really one of the guys, the coaches who really was at the forefront of this supercharged offensive firepower uh, that has you know, come to fruition in most of college football. You know, you've even got it at Alabama and Ohio State. And three yards in a cloud of dust no more. And Mike Leake was one of the guys who was at the forefront of bringing that to college football. Uh, and his, I don't call it quirky, but he's certainly unusual personality. He was, uh, you know, had a law degree. Uh, he, he didn't practice. But, you know, his interviews were always... Uh, you know, a must listen. Uh, sometimes you really couldn't understand how they related to football, and lots of times they didn't. Uh, some of the sideline interviews were priceless. You had to see him to believe him. Uh, he hung out in the Florida Keys, and uh, he was, you know, really uh, of all the current coaches in college football, he was probably the most colorful. Uh, certainly uh, at a major college as he found his way to the SEC in Mississippi State. And it's just a shame. I mean, from what I read, he was at practice on Saturday and had been ill, but was at practice. And I don't don't know if it was pneumonia, uh, but whatever led to the the massive heart attack. And unfortunately, he he was gone in a day. And, uh, you know, the entire college football world is, you know, going through uh, a period which there are tributes to him uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you watch, everywhere you listen. Uh, and it, it, it's a good thing in his passing. Unfortunate, this is what it's taken. But for a coach like him who was really outside the norm, outside the box, as you said, not the run-of-the-mill uh, remarks, not the run-of-the-mill conversations, a guy who was, you know, the Dosecki's commercial is the most interesting man in the world, or he may have been the most interesting college football coach in the world. And, you know, gone far too soon at 61. Of course, n- doesn't have the national championships or necessarily the accolades that some other college coaches have. In fact, his, his winning percentage is going to end at 59.3 or something like that. And the threshold to get in the College Football Hall of Fame is set at 60. So I'm assuming that's something that they'll change and get him in for that. I don't think that's necessarily something they have to hold the book by. But you you look at his Wikipedia page and run down his box score, if you will, and you're not necessarily going to see huge things aside from being named Coach of the Year a couple times and some honors like that. I don't know if that's the case of just but, where he went as those, a coach. Those, those are very important honors when you take it in conjunction with where he coached. Sure, exactly. That's That was the next point of... He, was he went to, to just these, these random places, if you will. Lubbock, 
all the way up in Washington State, then down to Mississippi State, the state of Mississippi, at Mississippi State. He's not coaching in these huge cities. He's going to these random places like Pullman, and yet he was beloved at these places. All three of his Johnson's head coach, he's beloved, and he changed the programs around, no question about it, none more so, obviously, than Texas Tech, which he had an unfortunate exit from. It's quite an interesting and fascinating point in his coaching career where Craig James, the former SMU running back who was working at ESPN and was a prominent alumni of SMU and like the Stephen A. Smith, Kirk Herbstreet at the time for college football on their platform, and his son got a concussion who was playing for Texas Tech heading into the bowl game. Mike Leach put him in a dark room with this concussion. This kid said he was locked in a closet. Mike Leach said he just wanted to get him somewhere dark after practice. Obviously, concussions weren't looked at the way they are now, even though that was back in 2009. But then that started this. He said, she said, Craig James really came after him hard with going after the boosters for Texas Tech and slandering his name. And Mike Leach, somewhat being the stubborn guy, but someone that believed in himself said, listen, I'm not apologizing. I'm not signing any papers. I'm not going out of my way for this kid. I told you what happened. That's the story. And Texas Tech's administration, for whatever reason, folded and fired him before the bowl game, despite what he had done as a Texas Tech coach, the most winningest coach there, 11 wins the year before, nine wins that year, was second in the country at one point. Texas Tech, Al, Texas Tech football, the second team in the country. Michael Crabtree there, obviously one of the most well-known catches in college football history when they beat number one seed Texas. So he had Texas Tech as one of the best teams in the country. And the administration said, okay, goodbye over something seemingly trivial that they could have come to an agreement with or figured out that got dragged through in court. He still never received his money from the contract extension they had given him. And it was a relationship with that specific administration that he never got rectified before he unfortunately died. It's something that he always talked about. He would drag them through the mud and said they did the wrong things. Texas Tech never really apologized for it, for that part of it. He's always said he loved the fans. He loves Lubbock, et cetera. It wasn't them. But they, they never, unfortunately, mended no, those that moves. Never, that, that, that never healed. Yeah. That never healed. And I don't and know so if that affected his, his coaching career because he missed two seasons after that. He wrote his book, which was great for us as book readers and fans of his. But then he ends up at Washington State. I'm not saying that's a bad place for him to have gone, but I guess you could look at it as, as a downswing a little bit from where he had the Texas Tech program. And now, obviously, he ended up in the SEC, which is a big deal, but Mississippi State, not the highest of SEC programs, though he was trying to build it into one. So it's just interesting how that, that kind of took his coaching career in a much different path than I think people had viewed it going. And Craig James, for those who don't remember, was the predecessor to Kirk Herbstreet on game day. Uh, you know, in the beginning of college game day, uh, you know, Chris Fowler and Lee Corso and Kirk, uh, not Kirk Herbstreit, uh, uh, the pony, uh, were the, uh, were the threesome that were at the desk and he was a legendary player at SMU. And that was back in the day of the pony express. And he basically split time did Craig James at SMU as a running back with Eric Dickerson. They were in the same backfield, but they would at times rotate possessions and they both had huge college careers and he had uh, you know, a good pro career. 
but not to the extent of uh, of Dickerson's obviously Hall of Fame career. And then he went on to ESPN and was one of the original threesome in game thing. And he was succeeded by uh, obviously Kirk Herbstreit, who's been wildly successful. But as you said, his son was in this controversy with uh, Coach Leach and basically that controversy conflict or rewind demon resulted in him being dismissed from, uh, from Texas Tech. The last time, at least on record that people might remember the 2021 Liberty bowl, when they got to play Texas tech and somebody of course asked him, well, what's the relationship like with you guys? And he tore into the administration for probably about a four minute answer just with what happened and what went wrong. And he thought he was in the right. And as we mentioned, that's unfortunately something that, they never got taken care of. And of course, there's always regrets when somebody unfortunately dies. We wish we did this. We could have done that. With Mike Leach, he was somebody that sometimes people maybe got sick of or the novelty wore off of. When things weren't going right with a Mike Leach team, he could be short with the media or really be crass about his team or players and drag guys through the mud. He never held back for that. So when it wasn't all roses, sometimes he wouldn't be all rosy, if you will, but who is? So that might have rubbed people the wrong way or the answers and and ridiculous pathways that he would take interviews might have rubbed people the wrong way of like, listen, man, I just wanted to know why X and Y happened in the game. I'm not concerned with the new Netflix documentary that you're watching. So there was good with the bad, as there is with everything. But it's been a refreshing week to hear the positive part. He could be very gruff. Yeah. In some of his interviews, uh, at times condescending. And you didn't really know if he meant to be or if it was his way of getting a point across. Uh, but regardless, it was certainly not your run of the mill college football coach interviews. And he was a brilliant guy. And uh, you know, as I said, 61, uh, still coaching, still going strong and, and taking far too soon. And this was another instance. We talked about this, unfortunately, when Kobe died. When you take a step back and look at all the stories that people have told this past week from players, coaches, administrators, reporters, fans, anyone, you just wonder, when did this guy have the time? When did he have the time? There's a story that Hal Muddy told on Big 12 Radio this week, he, the father of the air raid offense that kind of taught it to Mike Leach, and he took it and ran with it. He was taking a bus to a game, and it was one of these long cross-state drives that took 15 hours to get from where they were going to the stadium, and Mike Leach happened to call right after he got on the bus. They stayed on the phone for 15 hours. Where do you have the time? Everyone telling these stories about him saying, like, call me at any time or spending hours on the phone when he did. Everybody has these stories. When do you have the time to coach? He's talking about sitting in the film room and he gets through like three or four plays. And before you know it, you're talking about whatever is happening in this, this show on TV or did you see this or what about this part in history? And you're not watching any of the film. When did he have time to coach? He's got a wife and four kids. When did he have time to talk to them? It's just wild to think about when these guys have the time. There's stories of him staying up till like 
3 a.m., 4 a.m. He was always a late-to-bed guy, a night owl. But you got to be up for stuff at 7, 8. You're going to trips. There's breakfasts. There's speaking engagements. When are you sleeping, Mike? When do you have time for this? Fascinating. I don't know how they balance it. You know, we're over here working, uh, quote-unquote, like normal 9-to-5s, and you get a phone call, and you're wondering, like, what the hell is this person calling me for? You can't wait to get off of them. He's talking to people for 15 hours. Jesus. Incredible. There is nobody that's going to ever be Mike Leach. And we wish there could be more people like that who could not be afraid to put that barrier down and be more open with people and honest with people and just be themselves instead of just being robots. But he was always always that, to say the least. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. While you were gone, uh, the final four set in stone in NCAA, and the committee got it right. They did what they were supposed to do. They didn't just bypass a team that got upset in their conference championship for you know powerhouse alabama uh unfortunately usc did fall which allowed ohio state to back in despite the fact that they were absolutely lambasted in their last game of the season at home by our rival michigan but the four teams that are there are the four teams that are supposed to be there and they did an even better job by not allowing ohio state besides being back in to jump tcu which lost you know, a heartbreaker in the Big 12 championship game in overtime after yet another great comeback. And they basically said what I agreed with to Ohio State. Hey, you backed your way in. You got smoked in the last game of the year and the biggest game of the year. So you're in because USC had to play the extra game and lost in a game in which their Heisman winning, Heisman winning eventual Heisman winning trophy, excuse me, Heisman trophy winning quarterback Caleb Williams got hurt. And the game flipped after he got hurt. We have no idea what would have happened had he not gotten hurt. He played through it, but uh, they got dominated by Utah in the second half of that game. But that was the extra game that they had to play and lost. But since it was their second loss, they're out. TCU had to play the extra game. They lost a heartbreaker. So instead of them being bounced, because it was only one loss, and instead of Ohio State being jumped over them and being penalized for playing the extra game, the committee said to Ohio State, Okay, you backed in. You're only here because USC played the extra game and lost. So, yeah, you're in, and here's your reward. You get to be the four seed and play number one Georgia. And that was the right thing to do because that's where they deserve to be. They're the four seed. They're only in there because another team lost. They got smoked the last game of their season, the biggest game of their season. They were embarrassed at home. So, yeah, you get in, but here's your penalty. You're playing the one seed. And plus, you know, quite frankly, I know they don't supposedly worry about rematches, but did I want to see, you know, Michigan play Ohio State again that soon? No. No. If I got to see him play, you know, in a championship game, so be it. But I don't want to play him again in a semifinal. And I like I like these matchups. I like Michigan and TCU. I like Georgia and Ohio State. I think they're two really good matchups. Uh, you know, is, is Georgia a favorite? Of course. Is Michigan a favorite? Absolutely. But, you know, we got some new blood in TCU. 
uh, yeah, we got old blood in the other three, but still, committee did the best possible job they could do under the circumstances. They had to get Ohio State back in there. They didn't reward them and penalize TCU for TCU losing the extra game in the conference championship when they had a brilliant undefeated season. And they penalized Ohio State for that loss as well. They should have. I was pleasantly surprised with the final four. I thought they also got it right. And I was glad to see it happen that way because there's always a fear that cooler heads aren't going to prevail. Look, Nick Saban got into the, into the Vegas. Yeah. That's what he went with. That's that was the fear. Here he is. Ask the people in Vegas. We're going to be the favorites against DC. Well, you want to know something, Nick? I I watched your team all year long and yeah, maybe you'd be the, the favorites in Vegas. But, and yeah, you lost two games, all right, heartbreakers, one, you know, on a two-point conversion, you know, against LSU, uh, you know, one on a kick uh, at the end of the game uh, against Tennessee. But the point is this, your defense couldn't stop a strong wind no matter who you were playing. Right? I saw you almost lose the opening game in the season at Texas against the backup quarterback. I saw Mississippi go up and down the field against you. Your defense stunk. You were awful against a and a brutal A&M team. Right. So it, here's the bottom line. Maybe they'd have your favorite, but you're not that good. This Alabama team will put a ton of guys into the draft, but they're not that good. The Alabama defense, which has been eroding for years, despite the number of players that go into the NFL, and we've seen them year after year after year, their defense has been getting shredded in these playoff games against these high caliber offenses that are becoming more concentrated upon obviously the air attack. And the bottom line is that this Alabama defense, they were just mediocre and I understand they're playing top flight competition, but against the top flight competition, this Alabama defense was awful and they have no business being in this tournament, regardless of what Vegas thinks. Agreed. I don't even think they should be fifth. I thought Tennessee should have been fifth. I think they just put them there because Hendon Hooker's out for the year for Tennessee, but that shouldn't matter. Why is that something that should count against them that they lost their starting quarterback? That, that was just me, but I thought the four is correct. And as you said, I'm looking forward to the games too. I think they're going to be more competitive in a semifinal than we've seen in the past since the semifinals have been around, really. There's always blowouts in the semis. I don't know why people clutch their pearls based on a team like TCU getting in. Oh, they can't hang with the SEC. They can't beat the best teams in the Big Ten. They're just TCU. The Big 12 stinks. Blah, blah, blah. You haven't watched TCU. Paul Feinbaum hasn't watched TCU. Stephen A. Smith hasn't watched TCU. The first time they watched TCU was maybe in the Big 12 championship. Stephen Stephen A. Smith is lucky he can spell TCU. (laughs) <laughs> that would be a good follow-up. Stephen A., do you know what TCU actually stands for? How's that? Some of the stuff they were saying leading into that last week was just shameful. Nobody cares about them. Nobody wants to watch them. They can't hold a jock strap to Michigan or Georgia. Get lost, man. An incredibly exciting team. Get incredibly lost. Incredibly exciting team. Big time wide receiver is probably going to be a first-round draft pick, correct me if I'm wrong. Will be quarterback who finished uh, runner-up in the Heisman. Yep. Who is, you know, a, a do-it-all kid. A walk-on. 
and who played his heart out and at the beginning of the season had lost the starting job. Yep. It's a fabulous story. They've got a great running back. They've got a great, several great defensive players, a couple on the line, a couple cornerbacks, and they're fast. And if you're going to beat Michigan, who's going to want to run it down your throat, if you can be faster than them in the passing game, run up and down the field, get a couple stops on defense, it should be an exciting game. But it's refreshing to see the committee get it correct because as we also learned, to no surprise, money always talks. The Rose Bowl finally folded, and we're going to get college football expansion next year, right away, right out of the gate. None of this waiting around till 2024, 2025. Nope. Off we go. We need it. I'm sure for the love of the game, for the pride, dignity, not for the money, Al. <laughs> not at all. A couple more, you mean we could get more money those couple more years? We would have just been sitting around having people bicker and moan about, well, if it was a 12-team playoff, here's the teams that would have made it in. We'll save ourselves from that at least, and they'll expand. This year in particular, maybe not necessarily the best example for we need 12 teams. We had a hard enough time finding four, but hey, let's add eight more. To each their own for that argument. So that's where we stand with college football. The bowl season is beginning this weekend. There are all those mindless bowl games that you don't have to worry about until the end of December. God only even knows who's going to be playing in these things. Between players in the transfer portal, players opting out because they're hurt, players opting out to go to the draft, it'll just be skin and bones for some of these teams. So if you're in any of those pick and pulls, God bless you. Because who even knows who's playing for anyone until the day of the game? And even then, if you've got the depth charts and you can figure that out, God bless you for that. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's El Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. To the other football in the National Football League, as the playoff pictures begin to come together slightly in both conferences, to no surprise, in the AFC, you may see some familiar names atop the conference, the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs. How about your Baltimore Ravens? Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, hurt still, a little banged up. Not great, but not the end of the world. Titans are seven and six. The Bengals are nine and four. The Dolphins are eight and five. The Patriots are seven and six. The old, if the season ended today, those are your teams in, in the AFC. Teams on the bubble. I guess the really only real ones are the Chargers and the Jets. Everybody else is five and eight. God bless them. And, you know, the Jets are on a downswing as well with their quarterback situation. They've fallen from grace, unfortunately for them and, and all their fans out in the AFC East. Any shock to you for those top seven slash can we believe in any of these teams yet? We continue to ask that question, it seems, every year on this show, every week during the NFL season, who can we trust? And it's still not the easiest of answers, despite what the 10 and 3 records would lead you to believe with the top two teams up there. They've played some ick type games. It's, as we've said previously, seemingly going to be a wide open playoffs, depending on how the cards fall for a lot of fan bases this year. When you look at it from a totally objective standpoint, 
which is very hard to do as a, you know, being a Ravens fan and trying to figure out where they're at with and without Lamar Jackson and their lack of an aerial attack with or without Lamar Jackson. Uh, but getting healthy everywhere else, specifically at the offensive line with Ronnie Stanley, who is basically the most valuable player on the team. Uh, when Ronnie Stanley's healthy and playing, the Ravens' offense mauls people. They run for 200 yards a game, and the defense plays well enough to win, even though they may give up a late touchdown against anyone that makes the game close. But you look around, and who's playing the best? Well, obviously the Bills aren't playing great, but we know they have the talent. They may have home field. We're not sure yet. And they have a the quarterback who you know is one of the top five in the National Football League. They've lost, obviously, your former Super Bowl superstar and pass rusher, and the Rams' former Super Bowl superstar and pass rusher, Von Miller. Uh, it looks like he's done for the season, including the playoffs. And that's a huge loss. But they have depth on that defensive line. Um, but at times you watch, you just say, look, it's the same with everybody. But you know, there is one game where you watch and you think Josh Allen is Superman. And then the next game, he is literally merely mortal. And the fact that he's big and strong and fast and you know can leap linebackers in a single bound. But he looks very <laughs> normal in some of his games. Uh, now, it could be the elbow injury still. Uh, you know, we don't know the depths of that despair. He doesn't look quite the same uh, as we've seen him at his highest points, and that could have something to do with it. The offense itself, in general, they still don't run the ball much other than him. So there are times it looks like the offense can't be stopped, and other times it looks like the offense can't get out of its own way. So they're eminently beatable. They clearly are eminently beatable. Then we go to the Chiefs, who we know are eminently beatable, but incredibly difficult to beat, with a quarterback who you know, is magical, with a tight end who, for the most part, you know, seems to have some type of repelling spray on him, because in the middle of the field he catches footballs with no more than 15 yards of him somehow, some way. I haven't figured it out yet. You know. That's the guy we got to stop. Well, you know, nobody. Let's do this. Nobody cover him, and then just let him run. Well, we don't see anybody in the camp. We don't. We don't see anybody on the screen for like five seconds. Of course, then again, they do have Jamar Chase, and uh, you know the kid from Clemson who is starting to come into his own uh, as you know the, the second wide receiver. Uh, he dropped some balls last year in big spots. He looks like he's playing more consistent got to be kind of the focal point when Chase was out. And they are with the quarterback, um, you know, in who, who is uh, in Joe Burrow, you know, who outplays Patrick Mahomes when they play. The one guy that Patrick Mahomes can't beat is Joe Burrow. He's undefeated against him. So, you know, and, and the one team that seem to have a handle on controlling, for better term, I'm not going to say locking up, but controlling that big tight end used to running in wide open spaces was the Bengals. You didn't see Travis Kelsey, you know, roaming all by his lonesome. Uh, and in the one big play, which was the biggest play of the game, they ripped the ball loose and fumbled uh, and he fumbled and it flipped the game. And 
you know, just when you think Kansas City was taking control of that game and going to win it, and yeah, they're the class of the AFC, boom, Joe Burrow brings them back, and you know they win that game in Cincinnati, beat them for the I believe the third consecutive time. So I I have to tell you, with those three teams right now for me, it is a coin toss. You know, you like to think, oh, okay, yeah, it's Kansas City, Mahomes can't be stopped, but Cincinnati stops them. You like to think, oh, well, you know, Cincinnati, you know, they're rough, they're rugged, they still have trouble protecting the passer, but their offense looks like it is hitting now on all eight cylinders. They got Joe Mixon back. Um, the kid from Oklahoma, Pilot, uh, as you know from your years uh, of covering the Big 12, has is an incredibly versatile back and has been terrific for them uh, when Mixon was banged up, just like the kid from Clemson has been terrific while Jamar Chase uh, was banged up. Well, now Chase is back. They're all healthy. They're ready to rock. So I think Cincinnati, they're not going to have home field. They've still got a very tough schedule. They have Tampa, uh, who is, despite the shellacking they took the other night, and still you know in charge in their division. So Tampa still has a lot to play for. Uh, so they will give Cincinnati a challenge. Only since Cincinnati also has the Bills. They close with the Ravens. The Ravens don't have their starting quarterback. They barely have their backup quarterback yet. But they have, you know, Cleveland at Cleveland on Saturday. They have Pittsburgh again at home with their quarterback woes. They have Atlanta. And they have Cincinnati to close it. The Ravens have a chance, a chance to be uh you know, 12 and four going into that Cincinnati game. Don't know if they will be, uh, but they could be. Uh, that game could be for the division. That game could be for the one seed. Remains to be seen. But without a healthy Lamar Jackson, the Ravens are not in the class of those other three teams. Uh, their defense might be the best of all of the teams when it's healthy, which it is now. Uh, they certainly have the best kicker on the planet. Their special teams are always good, but their receivers are at the bottom of the barrel. Their passing game is the worst of any even playoff contending team. And you, know, you love to run the ball, but you do have to be able to throw the ball. And they have not shown that they're able to do that on any kind of consistent basis. So to me, I really can't separate those three teams a whole hell of a lot. Um, to me, if you said to me, uh, the Bills are going to the Super Bowl, Bengals are going back to the Super Bowl. Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I would not be the least bit surprised. Yeah, none, honestly, not zero. No, no one of those three teams to me stands above the other two. Now, to, to the AFC's credit, those are three really good teams, but there's not a great team there. Do the Eagles stand above the rest to you in the NFC? They literally do. Twelve and one, still judge one loss. Best team in the NFC East. The best team in the NFC. They've separated themselves from the likes of. The Vikings, 10-3 and three in the North. The 49ers playing currently beating the Seahawks on Thursday night football. They're looking for 10 wins. The Cowboys have 10 wins in the NFC East, nipping at the Eagles' heels. And, of course, a couple other teams hanging around. The whole NFC East really hanging around, which is incredible after all the years of suck that they've had. But the Eagles have separated themselves. Is that the team to believe in out of the NFC? Unlike all the other teams, the Eagles have really didn't done nothing to make me a non-believer. Yeah, I agree. They're dominating on both sides of the ball. They are healthy 
for the most part. There are really no games. Okay. Washington played a hell of a game against them. But there are really no games where I see Philly and I say, well, you know, they got lucky or they didn't perform well or they weren't consistent. They're going out and they're taking care of business. And they may have the MVP of the league. I'm not saying hands down. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. But you know, let, let's remember, he was a Heisman Trophy runner-up. He played at Alabama. He played at Oklahoma. He was a second-round draft pick. No, he didn't win the Heisman. No, he wasn't a first-round top pick. But you know, neither was Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott came out of Mississippi State. I watched him play in college. I didn't see some. I, I didn't see the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys playing at Mississippi State. He was a nice player, versatile player. He wasn't nearly the player in college that Jalen Hurts was. But Jalen Hurts came in as you know, wow, you're taking him in the second round, and you got Carson Wentz. You know, he was would have been an MVP if he didn't get hurt. Is this an insurance pick? It's a wasted pick. Who's, who's laughing now? Okay, you think the Philly front office is laughing now? He is playing to the height of his skill set, both athletically and from a mindset as a quarterback, showing that he's not just an athlete. Remember, he played in the Oklahoma offense his last year when he transferred. He got to be tutored by Lincoln Riley, who is basically the, the offensive genius right now of college football. And he got to study under him and play for him and get an even better understanding, with all due respect, to Nick Saban at Alabama of a pro-style offense. And you know, this guy churns out Heisman Trophy winners. We've seen it. Uh, he's just had his third one. And Hertz, I believe, was one or up, correct me if I'm wrong, when he was in Oklahoma. Uh, and he's getting better all the time. And they have weapons. They went out and got him, you know, the big-time wide receiver from uh, Ole Miss in the trade with Tennessee. And he's been terrific. They drafted, uh, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. They've got quality and versatile running backs. They have an excellent offensive line. He's getting time to throw. He's not throwing the ball 50 times. He's not throwing for 500 yards. But if you look at his yards per completion, and that's what I always look at with quarterbacks, yards per completion. Not yards per throw, yards per completion. And obviously, he's got great wheels, but he's not just your basic you know, athletic running quarterback. I'm watching him be a better version of Dak Prescott. That's what I'm watching right now. A better version. He was a better version of Dak Prescott in college, and now he is a better version of Dak Prescott at the NFL level. He takes better care of the football. Prescott gets sloppy with the football. He makes some terrible throws. Uh, he doesn't always read defenses that well. I think this guy is the perfect fit, and Philly loves him, and they love him in the locker room. They loved him as a rookie in the locker room. He is a leader. And when you've got a quarterback who is a leader, he doesn't have to be the best quarterback in the NFL because his guys will run through walls for him, and they love him. I think Philly is the team to beat, especially 
because of the uh, injury situation, with all due respect to Mr. Irrelevant, um, because San Francisco obviously has a loaded team uh, on both sides of the ball with skill set. Uh, I mean, the, the loss of Samuel is a terrible loss for the player and for the fans because he is such an exciting player. He's such a talented player. But from a skill set point of view, they still got plenty of weapons. Uh, there are people on the offensive side of the ball, you know, running back with you know the addition of McCaffrey and the rest of the receiving core is 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 very strong and very deep. And that's why with Jimmy Garoppolo there, I thought they certainly could go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they can do it with Purdy at quarterback. Uh, and I think they'll obviously make the playoffs and they could go far in the playoffs. But I couldn't take them over this healthy Eagle team right now, nor could I take anyone in the North. And obviously, you know, we just want the South to get lost. As weak as possible. South. Sorry. Enough. Secede. 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 Secede from the NFL for the rest of the year. (laughs) They, the NFC East of this season. Get out of here. Usually we're talking about them, but not this time around. That's a strong division, the strongest in NFL. And it's exciting to watch what's going on with that and exciting to see what a couple of these teams are still trying to do. There's still hope for a lot of fan bases. There's still a chance. Detroit, 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 Detroit. Come on. What a winning streak they have going. Then they get the Jets this weekend. There's there's a great chance for them. Absolutely. The rest of their schedule is, you know, I mean, the Jets are the best team on their schedule. And they close with the Packers. Yeah. And look, 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 let's tell it like it is. No disrespect to the Motor City. You know, the Tigers stink. Right? The Pistons are awful again. Kate, Kate Cunningham's undergoing season-ending surgery. The Red Wings are getting back into the mix. But after a years of dominance and a consecutive playoff run of what seemed like forever, two decades, they finally fall on hard times. They're getting back into the mix and respectability. But the Detroit sports stinks. And with the exception of the Red Wings, it stunk for a long time. Well, this Detroit team is exciting. They're fun to watch. They are a team that's got a, how would we describe their coach? Would we describe him as colorful? Would we describe him as uh, no holds barred? Would we describe him as a tough guy? All of the above? Yeah, I, um, I think he's uh, what they refer to as a football guy. Uh, and he's top And they have a quarterback who has been incredibly maligned, especially by our good friend Nick Wright over the years, uh, who was the number one overall pick in the draft, who, I don't want to say led, but was the quarterback of the Rams in a Super Bowl that was one of the worst Super Bowls in history, in which he played incredibly poorly. And uh, their all-knowing, all-seeing coach could not devise any offense to solve the Belichick defense. And he was awful. And, you know, the Rams made the move in which they traded every draft pick for the next two decades and him uh, to get Matthew Stafford, who had taken all his lumps as the first overall pick in the draft out of Georgia in Detroit and goes to the Rams with all the talent (laughs) and wins the Super Bowl. And I'm I'm really happy for him because we've seen him get beaten up over the years and be on awful teams in Detroit. Well, you want to know who I'm really happy for now? I'm really happy for the guy who's the other end of the spectrum. Because now 
Detroit's playing better. And is this much maligned first-round draft pick who's awful in the Super Bowl and only there because of the coach in the system now goes to Detroit and languish last year? Yes. But now with an improved offensive line and skilled players around him, Goff is playing better. He's having fun. They're winning games. They're fun to watch. And I'm rooting for him to make the playoffs. I think it'd be a great story. And it'd be cool for him, you know, because he, he is, you know, it's not a comeback player of the year scenario because he didn't go anywhere. But, you know, we're kind of watching the rebirth, so to speak, of golf in Detroit. And I think it's terrific. Quickly over to baseball. There's been some high, high, highly priced (laughs) signings (laughs) and timings in Major League Baseball that we have not seen like this Ever. ever. You've got an owner with the New York Mets who doesn't have deep enough pockets. The limit does not exist for how deep they go, maybe causing other owners to want to spend even more so. The Mets are signing everybody. The Yankees actually signed somebody the fans wanted after bringing in Aaron Judge. One of the things we talked about, if he were to decide to come to the Yankees, is if he said to them, hey, uh, can we maybe bring in a couple pieces, try to win some fucking games? Seemed like this was something that was helped by him potentially saying so to Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman. The Giants made some waves. The San Diego Padres and their deep-ass pockets, wherever that's coming from, seemingly are in every player out there. The Dodgers, of course, are always lurking. So the big-name teams are still around. The Mets have kind of changed the game when it comes to all of this this, this offseason so far. What have been well, your biggest takeaway so far in this signing flurry that we've had the last several to, weeks? To try, you know, we, we could do a show on it, and we will, but for the most part, the numbers in terms of AAVs have come in pretty much where I thought they were going to come in. You know, I had Judge at 8 and 320. Giants come swoop, not swooping in, but Giants come in and better it. So basically, the Yankees match, you give me extra, it's 9 and 360. So it's the 40 million year, it's the extra year. I did not think Turner would get the length of that contract. The AAV did not surprise me. Uh, we thought it would be Philly pretty much all along. It was. Uh, the Bogarts deal, again, the AAV, pretty much figured it, did not think he'd get that those kind of years. Not even close. And you know, then finally, in comes Correa. And the number, again, on the AAV, pretty much where you figured it would be, but 13 years. So what are these teams doing? You know, They are offering these players more years, which helps the player in terms of guaranteed money longevity, safety net, and their future with no trades. But it also allows the team to reduce the AAV, spread it out over time. Yeah, the back ends of a lot of these contracts are going to be absolute write-offs. But by reducing the AAV, the annual average salary, it allows them to stay under, build their roster and stay under the competitive balance tax. So there's a method to the madness with these extended years. And, you know, these teams are flush, all, all flush with money. The question is whether or not they want to spend it. And if the last couple of years of these contracts are going to be dogs, remember how much money these players make them by putting fannies in the seats. And, you know, if you're selling, if you're drawing over 3 million a year, just think about how much money that is. 
you know, uh, between tickets and everything you spend when you're in the ballpark and parking, it's a hundred bucks a head. That's 300 million right there. There, there's that doesn't count all the other revenue they bring in from TV, from radio, you know, licensing, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the, the attendance figures alone, revenue basically pay. If you're drawing three million, the way I'm looking at it, they basically pay your you, this is the, the entire payroll of your team, of your team, not the entire operating expenses for the organization, but they basically cover your payroll. That's the way I look at it from a ballpark figure. The rich get richer, absolutely. Um, the, the Yankees keep their guy, then they go and they sign Rodon for what wound up to, as far as I was concerned, he was talking about thirty million a year. Thought my Cardinals would you know, supposedly they might jump in in a shorter term, and and you get them your Yankees for six and one sixty two, which to me is a shocking number based upon the fact that he wanted thirty a year. Maybe it was five and one fifty, and he they said we'll give you the extra year but lower the AAV, which wouldn't surprise me. Because again, the scenario we're talking about, lower the AAV, allow the team to bring in more players and keep the the overall uh, salary for the year down to stay below the competitive balance tax. Uh, the Cardinals, they make one signing and they barely, they, it's barely a ripple. You know, $87 million for five years for Contreras to fill a gaping hole. And, you know, it, it's a third and a quarter of what some of these players are getting. So Yankees, Mets, Phillies, Padres, Giants, uh, East and West Coast, and obviously the Rangers, stepping in like they did last year with a huge contract for DeGrom, who we don't know whether or not he's damaged goods. We know he struggled with injuries. We don't know how much he's going to pitch. But they said, here's five years guaranteed. How do you not take it if you're DeGrom? When the best you're going to get somewhere else is three. You know, Mets replacing with Verlander, healthier, shorter term, clearly the way to go. The, the best option of all the free agent pitchers. Why? One, he's the best pitcher. Plain and simple. It's coming off the best year of any pitcher. Healthy year. Dominant year. Okay, it's going to be 40. Big deal. It's a two-year deal. His wife's in the building. You know, there's a bonus. It's worth this place. All right, I, I get to see her now. And I said, why? Well, she'll be in the building. You know, Ron, Gary, Keith, they'll talk about her. I'm sure they'll have her in the booth. So, you know, at least they get to see her. Um, these teams have absolutely positively shown that Baseball is financially sound, plain and simple. You know, don't listen or believe any of these circumstances that the owners are laying out. The pandemic is over. People are back in the building and plenty of them. And they're bringing in these massive revenue streams. The only, obviously, you know, the Pirates aren't making the kind of revenue that the Dodgers, the Yankees are. But you also, you're increasing the wealth of your franchise year in and year out, continues to appreciate. The question becomes, you know, do you want to spend your money? And the teams that are winning want to spend, and they've shown their willingness to spend, and that's why they're winning. You must spend. You must get high-valued, high-caliber players to win games. The big thing to keep in mind that this free agent flurry with these long-term contracts is resulting in is you are going to see the next few years, obviously, lesser big-time players being on the market because they're not going into three- and four- and five-year contracts with opt-outs. All these contracts that we're seeing this year have no opt-outs, and they have no no-trade clauses. So these guys aren't going anywhere soon. 
It's been exciting to see, and I hope it brings continued interest to baseball. We're always begging for that. I'm not sure that a pitch clock and wider bases and whatever other nonsense, the band shift and other things coming next season is going to be the answer for more eyes on the sport. But I think it's it's been exciting to see some big names getting big dollars and going to big teams over the past several weeks. And that'll hopefully draw some interest, none bigger than what was surrounding Aaron Judge and kind of how he dragged the Yankees through the coals with a fake rehearsed trip to San Francisco to say he was playing for the Giants, all of a sudden talking to the Padres at the 10th hour to see what they had to offer before being like, no, I wanted to be the Yankees. Good for him for dragging their ass for how they treated him, telling him telling them, hey, while we're negotiating in the preseason, can we not make that deal public? And then Brian Cashman was like, hey, here's the deal that we did with Aaron Judge in the preseason. Brian what the hell Cashman. are you doing, man? Brian Cashman comes out looking like a douche again. The same way he did with Jeter when he embarrassed Jeter. We saw the Jeter special. We know Jeter can't stomach him for obvious reasons. He disrespected Jeter. He didn't show any kind of loyalty towards him. Brian Cashman has had the benefit of operating the bulk of his career with the biggest eraser at the top of his pencil that anybody has ever had. He has made innumerable terrible signings over the years. We won't go into them, but they have cost the Yankees not a small fortune, a fortune in players that have either been awful, non-productive, injured, et cetera, et cetera. And he hangs on to his job, just got a new four-year contract, like a Supreme Court justice. When we talk about hard to kill, I don't know what this guy's got to do to get fired. <laughs> what does he have over the Steinbrenners? He, 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 he fucked this up to the nth degree, and it took the owner getting on the phone to seal the deal. and to you From know, Italy! And, and, and you know, at least Cashman admitted it. You know, hell, hell, hell was Rivera. He said, hell closed the deal. So why? Because you couldn't. And probably because you, the, the player or, or the agent didn't trust you to close the deal. The holidays are on their way, so we'll be taking even more time off to spend with family and friends, etc. But next week's show, we'll dive into the college football playoff, give some predictions on those bowl games and some others across college football and take a bigger look at the National Football League playoff picture as well. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Oh, big John Lon. It's great to have you back, folks. Great to be back with you. Thanks for your support. And keep listening until next week for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from Al from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.